with our study of First Timothy chapter five, and we're talking about the care of widows. And in our last session, we read all the way through the text, so I'm just going to, uh, to start um, where we left off. And um, one of the things, just by way of review, that we went over is that uh, in taking care of widows, we're reflecting God's character. It's commanded, and obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings discipline. It's a true expression of the Christian religion, according to James. And then we read the wonderful example from Job, and I want to read that again, Job 29, 13. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. Now, let me say something here uh, before we go on. If you had to have something said about you when you were announced into the throne room of God, I think the number one thing you would want to hear said about you is that you had an extraordinary devotion to the Son of God. I can't think of anything more pleasing to the Father than that. But after that, I would think that this would be something we would want to hear. Wouldn't it be amazing if you walked in and all these people stood up and said, the blessing of the one ready to perish comes upon him. He made the widow's heart sing for joy. That so many people were blessed because of your life. Young men, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you to think about eternity. Um, something I learned from reading something from Dr. Piper uh, years ago. Um, there are so many things in life that um, are going to be taken from you. So many things you're going to have to suffer. So many difficult people that will make your life difficult. Each one of those things, you, you think to yourself when it happens, that just ruins my life. Well, it may ruin to some degree your life in this world, but those are all opportunities for you to have an extra weight of glory in heaven. And um, if you will just be faithful as pastors, uh, even if you have no accolades, uh, you don't have time to build a, <laughs> a media ministry because, well, you know, you're too busy actually taking care of people. Um, all those sacrifices that you make for the sake of the smallest, they just add to your weight of glory in heaven. And that's how you send your treasure there. You know, a man that was married to the most gorgeous, intelligent, and godly woman or the woman that was married to the most handsome, intelligent, and godly man. I guess that would be a blessing. But the man or woman who is married to a difficult spouse, and they have to show the mercy and grace of Christ, and they have to spend nights up interceding and praying, do you not see that that difficulty, that precious thing that they may have wanted more than anything that they did not get, an easy spouse, is actually going to lead to a greater weight of glory in heaven. 
a ministry that, in a, that allows you to, I don't know, become famous. But what about a ministry that you're hidden away from everybody and only God sees you and even the people you care about don't seem to appreciate you? Does that not add up to an extra weight of glory? And so just do the right thing and do it <clears throat> for God's people. Now, talking about the care of widows, it's to be carried out with organization and great discernment. Now, before we get to our text, I, I want you to think about some things. Um, and I'm just gonna say it. Do you have written down an organized a ministry to widows. Do you have an organized ministry to needy, needy, special people that are very needy, orphans, widows, widowers, uh, older people who are shut up? Because don't think that this doesn't apply to you just because you live in a country where the government takes care of widows. They still have a gaping hole in their heart they still are lonely. Now, I do not believe that a pastor needs to spend all his time visiting widows. Uh, first of all, there can be some dangers in there if there's proximity with regard to age. Also, the minister's primary responsibility is to study and preach the word of God and to intercede for his people. But there is the idea of organizing your church and having specially gifted people who see this as their ministry even if it means just sitting with an old saint a few hours a week and having a Bible study and, and, and drinking tea with them and, and just loving them, do you see? So first of all, when we talk about widows, I think we just need to run over really quick to the book of Acts. And we've been in this text so many times because it's so important to the church today. Acts chapter 6, we know that there was a problem between the Hellenistic and Hebrew uh, widows. We know that there were discrepancies, that there were accusations and all kinds of things. And to solve the problem, the, the apostles determined that they should not set aside the ministry of the word of God and prayer. And so they appointed men. In verse 5 of chapter 6, of the book of Acts, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So um, I believe that this is the beginning of what we know as the office of deacon. I believe that churches do not function well today because pastors do not function well today. And I do not believe that pastors function well today because most of them are doing the work of a deacon. Now, this does not mean pastors should not care for, visit widows. They should. But the bulk of the responsibility must lie upon godly, godly men who are true servants and who want to serve the body of Christ. Who, who will sit with people, who will find out about their needs, who will organize things to meet those needs. We need godly deacons. And that's what we see here. 
Now, when we go back to 1 Timothy chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 9, it says a widow is to be put on the list. What does that tell us? That their ministry to these, this special group of people was organized. It was organized. They determined what the will of God should be. What should we do for these women? Um, you know what a metric is, okay? So when you're hired at a job, you're given a job description. Without a job description, you can't know what you're supposed to be doing. And also you can't be judged. No one can determine whether you're doing your job if no one knows what your job is. If there's not a specific description of the responsibilities of your job. Then secondly, there's a metric. What is a metric? Well, let's say that you were in social media working for a company and they said you had to make four posts a day of 350 characters um, or so on and so forth. That's a metric. And so they come to you every day or at the end of the week and say, did you meet your quota? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Well, when ministry, there's no description of what a person's supposed to do. You don't know who it's supposed to be done to, and you don't know who's going to do it. And it's just all kind of up in the air, supposedly led by the spirit. Well, it gets nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. So it's, it's going about, they, they made a list of the widows that were widows indeed. I am sure that they had deacons. I'm sure that it was organized. That it was visiting, the, is there any financial needs? Yes, out of our 10 widows, there are five that have true needs. Okay, what are the needs? It's this, okay. Okay, who's in charge of doing this? Who's in charge of visiting? Who's in charge of the spiritual, emotional, the financial? Who's going to get it done? You see, if, if most people, I am totally against pragmatism and bringing in worldly models into the church, but I am not against writing out specifically who falls into what category, a widow, What are the commands of scripture with regard to that? Who's carrying it out and who's going to hold them accountable? And that applies to anything. Let's say that you have a lot of unwed mothers. Let's say that you have people with severe emotional problems. You know, just how are you getting it done? How are you addressing the problem? You know, I hear a lot of churches complain all the time about the bureaucracy of government. Sometimes I see the same inept practices in churches. So it was organized because it says, verse 9, put on a list. And then, and this is very important, it was carried out with great discernment. Great discernment. And we, we'll see this in verses 4 through 16. That it wasn't driven by emotionalism, romanticism, or even the whims of carnal people. It was driven by scripture. It was, there was great discernment. So in, in the phrase, uh, there's a phrase that occurs um, 
in verse 3 and in verse 5 and in verse 16, and it's the idea of widows indeed. Widows indeed. That means they were truly widows, and then he goes on to define what that means. So if he had just said widows, we would have probably just anyone who called themselves a widow. Then he goes, widows indeed, then we're a little bit more serious. Well, they really, they have to truly be widows, but then how do we determine that they're widows? Well, he gives us that. He explains to us what he means. Now, this is also confirmed in 1 John 3.16. I want to read this text to you. It says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, I used to work, when I was in seminary, I worked in a, a street ministry, and I even lived with the street people for a while. And I can't tell you how many times I'd be walking down the street or, you know, someone would actually come into my bunk where I was actually sleeping and say, I need $5, I need $2. Sometimes I need 38 cents, you know, <laughs> do you have, you know? And uh, so if I'm a good Christian, I'm just gonna give everybody every time they ask. No, why? Because a lot of times they're gonna go buy drugs. A lot of times they're gonna go buy some more cheap liquor. There were many times someone would ask me for money and I'd say, well, I'm not gonna give you money, but I'll take you right over here to get something to eat. And they would cuss me out violently, you see? And, and that's what it's saying here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, but whoever sees, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. Theoreo, it means observe, perceives, discerns. It's the idea of, it's not just that you heard about a need. It's not just that someone told you they had a need. You actually observed it. You discerned it. You looked into the matter. You examined it. And that's what he's calling us to do here. I know a lot of churches, you know, will be visited by homeless people, street people, or people driving through that they always run out of gas right by a church or something like that. And they'll come in and ask for money and the church will just give them money just to get them back out the door. And they know that. They know that. Because the church feels like if I don't give them money, then I will look bad. You see? Well, that's the same thing if I don't give my daughter ice cream every day, she won't like me. That's self-love. You need to sit down with those people that come into your church. You need to talk to them about their need. You need to perceive it. And sometimes when it's not even a real need, you're still going to say, you know, this, I need to give it. I need to show mercy. But more importantly than that, you need to actually get to know what's going on. You need to share the gospel with them and you may even need to rebuke them. You see, so it's, it's with these widows, it's not just saying, okay, she's a widow, let's help her but it's discerning that she is a widow indeed. All right, well, let's go on. Now here's the question is, why does the church need to be really discerning when it comes to the matter of widows, orphans, the poor, uh, a person with special, special needs, like maybe they're a drug addict or something like that? 
Why is discernment required? Well, in verse seven, he says, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Now, the word here means above criticism. When you handle these widows, you need to do it in such a way that you're above criticism. Go back to Acts chapter six. We can see that not handling the widows properly was causing a division in the church and it had stagnated the proclamation of the gospel. And then right after the problem was solved, we see immediately the word of God again begins to increase and there are disciples being made. Okay, so above reproach, and that has two different categories to it. So first of all, above reproach and that no one accuses the church of lovelessness, of not caring. So we wanna make sure that every widow is cared for because we love that widow. But we also wanna make sure that everyone is cared for so that there can be no accusation laid against the church that it's unloving. Now, let me share something with you about reality. Even the people that you help in a graceful and abundant manner will sometimes accuse you of being unloving. Just like my seven-year-old daughter can think I'm not the greatest dad in the world because I don't give her ice cream every day. And so don't think that when you do the right thing, you're going to be applauded always. This is what requires great endurance in the ministry that even when you do the right thing, people are gonna reproach you. But you still must attempt to live above reproach. Now, there are two, there's a narrow path here and there's a way to fall off either side. So one accusation can be, you guys have widows you're not taking care of and it shows that your confession of Christ is not real and you Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. That's one side. The other side of accusation can be, you church people, you're fools. You don't realize that by giving money all the time to these street people, you're just, you're just uh, that money's going straight from them to their drug dealer. You have no discernment. So you see, this is a narrow path and there's a way to fall off on both sides. So, for example, allowing widows and their families to abuse the church's generosity. Verse four, that appears to be going on. He says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety and to regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So your giving should, could be foolishness and that you're allowing a widow and her family to actually take funds from the church that should go to someone who's a widow indeed. Secondly, uh, there's the possibility of supporting widows in their sin. Verse six, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Verse 13, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. So on one side, we need to care for widows. Well, first of all, we need to care for them because it's the will of God. Secondly, we need to do it with great discernment because we don't want to turn away someone who's a widow indeed, 
But we also need to practice great discernment because we don't want to get involved in some romantic, soupy foolishness in which we are taking money that, that is entrusted to us and giving it to people who are just abusing the privilege. Okay? This shows us something, and this is very, very hard. This may be the hard, one of the hardest things you're going to have to do in the ministry. Uh, we have to do it here all the time. And that is, you cannot be led by sentimentalism, romanticism, self-preservation, or a desire to be loved by people. Sometimes you have to make really hard decisions and tell somebody, we can't work with you anymore. We cannot support what you're doing. We don't agree with you. And automatically, even if you've supported them for years, accusations start coming. But you have to do it based upon scripture and based upon discernment. You cannot follow emotion or make emotive decisions. You have to follow God's word and do what's right. And you don't lie. Like you say to someone, well, I can't support you because I can't give you any money because I don't have any. And the fact of the matter is you may have money. It's like, no, I cannot support you because what you're doing is unethical. I can't tell you how many times I've, someone's asked me for something and I said, no. And they said, why? I've observed your life, you're lazy. You're just lazy. And what do they automatically say? You're unloving, you don't care. You know, you're, you're a big shot and you don't care about anybody. Just go on with the accusation, but it doesn't change the fact that you're lazy. Because there's another passage, isn't there, that says if you don't work, you don't eat. So it, you're, you're seeing here, man, another thing that, that in God's word, in some of these cases, you're, giving, you're given very important foundational principles. But if you're not a man who is wise... You're not going to be able to deal with these situations. That's why we must always renew our mind in the word of God. Now, let's identify these widows. Okay, that's very important. Some believe that Paul is referring to a special group of widows that were making a vow to celibacy and service. And there's some some very, uh, very good commentary writers who hold to that view. Now, it's nothing like what we have as far as Catholicism and the, the women ministers there who are called nuns. That has nothing to do with that. But there are people that believe this was a special group of women who had reached a certain age and they were kind of organized. They had made a vow to stay, to stay single and that they were going to minister in the church and the church would support them. There's a lot of good behind uh, their arguments, but I hold to a different position. I, I think that Paul is referring to widows in general, just a widows in the church. And um, a good commentary here on, on this is Mounts in the pastoral epistles, word commentary. Uh, it's a very good uh, commentary and I found it very, very, very helpful. Um, so now let's uh, let's identify here, if we can, these uh, these widows. 
First of all, in verse 3, it says widows indeed. Or in the New English translation, those who are really widows. Now, what does this look like? There are basically two qualifications. We're going to get more specific, but if you want to generalize, there were women put on a list to be cared for as widows, to be cared for financially as widows. But I believe it goes beyond financial consideration into special ministry. Now, what kind of woman? It says there are basically two primary characteristics, totally abandoned without any financial support and an exemplary Christian character. Those seem to be the two general ideas. There was no one to help them. There was nothing of what we see in verse four. There was no one to help them. They had no family to rely on and they were believers indeed. They showed, demonstrated all the fruit of a genuine believer. Now, let's look at some specific uh, characteristics. First of all, they were 60 years old. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she was not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Now, I want to say something here. And this is very, very, very important. What we have here is not a checklist, okay? It's not a checklist. It's simply demonstrating to us, using different characteristics, what type of woman ought to be put on the list. And it seems like when they were put on the list, this was a permanent commitment to them, as long as everything remained the same in their life. This was a permanent commitment to them. And it says not less than 60 years old. Now, does that mean if a woman comes and she's 59, she can't be supported? Well, she can't permanently be put on the list. She shouldn't count on this as the permanent standard for her life. Do you see what I'm saying? This is just giving us an idea of do not put a woman on here that's less than 60 years old because it can open the door to a lot of problems. But if you have a 39 year old widow with five children and they're in your church and they're all hungry, you're going to help them. You're going to love them. You're going to support them, but you're not going to put them on the list as this being a permanent condition that they can rely on for the rest of their life. They need to go on and do something else. Do you see? So it's not saying don't get into this. You know, I believe the word of God and it says 60 and she won't be 60 for another seven months. So we're not going to give her any food. Well, you can't live seven months without food. Okay, so this is a this is putting someone on the program list that you are assuming this is a permanent condition for them, a permanent station in life. Now, they must be uh, at least 60 years old totally alone and without support. It says in verse five, now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone. Okay, so she is completely without support from family. 
Now, let's look at this. You say, well, she's got family, so we're not going to help her. Well, where's her family? Well, they're unbelieving pagans who have cast her out of the house because, uh, because of her faith in Christ, but we can't support her because she has family who can support her. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, if she does have unbelieving family, they should support her. If she has believing family, they have to support her or that family will come under discipline. But if we have someone who's not necessarily 60 years old and they have a multi-million dollar family, but they won't support them because they've become Christians, then we come in and help. It's not a permanent situation that they can rely upon, that they can plan for, but we are going to help them and help them move on in life. Do you see? Very important. You will not believe some people get a few rules like this and, and, and they can just slaughter people with them. So we have to be be very careful. So they're 60 years old, totally alone without family support. Verse five, her life is marked by true devotion and piety to God. Verse five. Now, she who is a widow indeed, who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Now, you go to this 60-year-old woman. She has no family. Uh, she's 60 years old. And then you go, do you continue in entreaties day and night? And she says, literally? Yes, literally. Well, no. Well, then you can't be supported. And then she just has to say, do you do that, pastor? <laughs> do you see what's going on here? These are marks of piety. These are not standards that you're going to set up there and go, you know, OK, 24 hours a day. She has to do this. She's got to basically be a flawless woman. You know, so her life is marked by true devotion and piety to God. You look at her life. Is she a genuine believer? Not is she a super saint? But is there marks of being a genuine believer? She has true devotion and piety to God. And then her life is marked by faithfulness to her husband and her children. Verses 9 and 10. It says, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality. Do you see? So there's faithfulness to her husband and faithfulness to raise her children. But now let's go back again. Let's say that um, she is 65 years old. She was converted when she was 55. Prior to her conversion, she was not a good woman at all. Does that mean then that there's no support for her? Again, the idea here is this. Is she an example? Is she, has she grown? Is she, is she being the person that she ought to be in Christ? Is this real? Is this real? So if you can't go back through this and say, okay, she had to be saved when she was 15. She married Chase and she was the perfect homeschool mom and she was the perfect wife and she wrote uh, theology books and she was also a seamstress and she made her own bread by crushing the wheat with a board out in a field and, and all these other things. 
What we're looking for here, is she genuinely converted? Has there been these evidences in her life of conversion? Now, let's go on. Um, her life is marked by service to the saints, verse 10. So let's look at it. Having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Again, not only has there been piety, a demonstration of a relationship with God, but has there also been, has there truly been demonstrations of God's work in her service to God's people? Now, this right here is something of a rebuke. Why? How many women or men would fit this description in your church? Now, here's the question. How many of them have the opportunity to do so? How many of them have been taught to do so? We've almost come to the point where you're a good Christian if you come to church every time the doors are open and you listen to my exposition. Are we teaching them to minister to one another? Remember, guys, there's probably not anyone in this program right now that loves the Puritans more than me or the 17th century more than I do. We're not called to make it back to the 17th century. We're called to make it back to the first. And a lot of times we think, man, this man, this church is great. Why? I do exposition three times a week. The worship is biblical and people come to hear me. I don't think that's. Uh, people love the word. They have their pencils out and their notebooks and they're taking down notes and. Well, that's all good, but that's a means. Are they ministering to one another? Are they truly ministering to one another? Are they caring for one another? That is the question. Now, after a person, after a woman, I believe, is put on the list, um, unless she is very, very old and decrepit, there's also the idea that if someone is freed from the work of human labor, then they become the Lord's slave in a greater degree. So if she is a person that has demonstrated works of service in the church, which she should be, once she is supported as a widow, that should increase. She should give herself to greater and greater service. Now, let's go on. Well, I tell you what, let's stop right there. And, uh, and we'll go on to the, uh, the rest of this in the next session. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will use it and that this will not just make us obedient with regard to widows, but with regard to the entire ministry of the church. And Father, I ask this in Jesus name. Amen.